Welcome to Bev with Stan. Episode 51. Hello and welcome, episode 51, here we are. I usually ask who the guest is, who I am. Well, allegedly I'm your father. According <laughs> to records. That's right. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of family tree stuff <laughs> lately and apparently, yeah, you're mine. <laughs> yeah. What, what's your name? Yeah, Derek Humphreys. And on Twitter? It's like Mastermind. Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter. What was it? H... At Derek485. Okay, and what we're going to do is go over gigs in each era because one of the things about you is that you've been to a ton of gigs yeah. more than anyone else that boasts about it or anything yeah. most of the good acts you're obviously born in the 50s and stuff and was a baby boomer and saw all the 60s stuff so today we're going to talk about the 60s yeah. do you remember yeah I remember the 60s and well I, I can actually remember the 50s because like my mum was sort of quite tuned into music and all that and she liked a lot of stuff like Ray Charles and Nat King Cole, so I heard all of that. And, of course, the radio was always on and there was all this uh, pink toothbrush stuff and Tommy Steele and Cliff Richard and all that. Now, I wasn't really turned on by that, but everybody knows that there was the big explosion when the Beatles hit the scene and, like everybody else of my age and generation, I was hooked and away we went. So Grandma's from Scotland, and yep. she used to buy albums. She bought Bob Dylan. It was bringing it all back home. I still re remember that, and I thought, you know, she more or less passed it over to me. I think she probably thought, well, this isn't entirely my cup of tea. I was very impressed with the fact that she came home with that record, you know, I thought, yeah. blimey. So she um, was interested, though, in music? She was interested in music, and yes, I think she still likes music now. She's still alive, she's nearly 91, but she still likes music. Yeah. She still likes your music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So today we're going to talk about three gigs from the 60s. Yep. So the first one is The Small Faces. October 24th, a Monday, 1966, Ipswich Gaumont Theatre. Gaumont, Go okay. What happened here? Okay, it was a cinema. Now, I was still at school at the time. You're only 14 here, surely. I was 66. I was 14, yeah, I was 14 years old. Mm. But just turned 14. Just turned 14, yeah. So a kid. And um, I was taking 
by the mod thing was mm. was just properly starting. People tell you that mod started in 1962. Well, I was only 10 in 1962, but it came to my attention just a few years after that. It all came about, I was at a boarding school, and you know that record by the Kinks, so I wish I could be like David Watts? Yeah. There was a fellow there called Brian Dyer, who I thought was like the coolest bloke on the planet. And I thought, God, I wish I could be like Brian Dyer. Because he had, even although it was like school uniform and all that, he would have like a nice Ivy League button-down shirt. He had like a mod French crop haircut. He even had a gold tooth at the front. I'm thinking, wow, how cool is that, a gold tooth? And I just thought he was the business. And of course, that turned me into wanting to be like a mod. Mm. Now, me and one of my best pals at that time, at half term, we decided that we were going to go and see the small faces. We lived in Norwich at the time. The nearest place where the small faces were playing was at Ipswich. Still can't remember how we got the tickets. Where's Ipswich to Norwich? I should know that, but that's not near. It's not in Norwich, is it? It's about 25, 30 miles away, and we went by train. So you were a big fan. How did you find out, just radio and stuff, how did you find out about the gig? Radio. Um, can't remember how we found out about the gig, but it was also the time of the pirate radio stations, the music explosion, you know, it was all taking off. And, um, yeah, so heard about it. And basically what we did was we got on the train at Norwich, had a carrier bag with a big, one of these big round flagons of cider. Mm, That's what you drink when you're 14, isn't it? Yeah, and we had 10 menthol consulate cigarettes. We didn't really smoke, but we thought we had to be doing something like that, you know, smoking, drinking. Mm. We were 14, you know, let's go for it. Mm. We're going to see the small faces. So we sat in the train, drinking cider. Who are you with, sorry? Did I miss that? His name was Stephen Byers. You know, it turned out that uh, he became a Labour politician mm. and he ended up being in the Cabinet in Tony Blair's government. Yeah. His and he went to the same school? Went to the same school. There's a school photograph, I could show it to you. And he sat right next to me. Mm. You're my best buddy, you know. They so he was a Small Faces fan. He was a Small Faces Ahead fan. of you or the same? Or you if you ever look at old pictures of Stephen Byers, <laughs> he's, a um, he's, a, he's a bit of a mod, you know. Yeah, he, yeah. Even when he was in the, the government, you think, you know, he looks, looks quite neat and sharp and all of that. Anyway, that's who I went to the gig with, Stephen Byers. Yeah. Is this one of your first gigs or what is the first gig? Do you know? Do you know what? I really don't know, um, but... My mum, funnily enough, fair credit to her, she was very keen to be pushing me and my older brother out of the house. Right. She, she didn't seem to be too bothered that we went out at night. And so from the ages of 13 and 14, mm. I would start going to clubs in Norwich, primarily to see live groups. But what often happened is that you would buy a ticket to see a live band on the Saturday and you'd get a free ticket for the disco thing that they would have on the Tuesday and that would be like Motown Records. And they encourage you to come back, that's quite a good idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the gigs that we're going to go on, I believe, to talk about is one with, with Cream where a similar thing happened where I went on a Tuesday um, to get, and it was like... One and six to get in, which is the equivalent of seven and a half p now. 
Mm. Um, there was a band on who, there was only about 40 people in the room. Um, but if you got there before eight o'clock, you got free ticket to a mystery band a couple of weeks later. Anyway, the, the rubbish band, or, you, you know, I didn't think they were any good. It's a strange fellow blowing a flute. And he was like Jethro Tull, um, what's his name, Ian Anderson. And the mystery band was Cream. So these types of things happened. But anyway. Yeah, that's come. that happens a bit now, secret gigs, doesn't it? So it's kind of come back. Yeah. So I'm just going to go through some things that happened. So this gig by the Small Faces was October 24th, a Monday, 1966. So you've probably been to school that day. I don't think so. Not if in I'm October. Getting, not if I'm getting pissed and everything. So I think it must have been, yeah, it must have been half term or something. So, yeah. I've since found out, actually, that there was two shows that night. <laughs> mm. there, was, um, there was a number of different bands on the, um, you know, on the bill. I think there was Paul and Barry Ryan. There was about five bands on it. When it wasn't a matinee, though. It was in the evening, because they did matinees yeah. back then, didn't they? The yeah, two or three was, gigs a day. It was in the evening. It was probably around about 7 o'clock at night, something like that. You know, it would be an absolute whistle-stop show, and there was probably another show kicking off at about quarter past nine later that night. And that's the, the way that these package tours operated. It was just like being in one of these... Things you know, like you see Hard Day's Night, and there's all these girls screaming. So they were screaming because that's what the small faces put them off, wasn't it? Steve Marriott didn't want the girls, nor did Lennon, did he? So no. was it already a bit poppy then? In '66, that was probably my only experience of being in that type of environment. You know, like usually I was seeing people in effectively dance halls or large-sized pubs mm. but that was the probably the one and only time I went to oh no I saw the who once as well in one of those things as well where it's like a package tour effectively they just rattle through about five of their hits mm. and that's it oh really it was a short gig short gig yeah and their latest album at this point was the small faces album yeah. From like six months earlier, which was What You're Gonna Do About It. It was released on 11th of May, Shalalali. What You're Gonna Do About It stayed in the chart for 14 weeks. Hey Steve, what you gonna do about it? Good song, what you're going to do about it. Frankly, it was difficult to take your eyes off of them because they were, you know, I said earlier about mods and they were like proper mods. I do remember, I have a recollection of Stevie Marriott. You know, he used to play his guitar in such a way that he was like knocking his knees together. Mm. The guitar that he had was almost like, it looked like he was playing a double bass. It was so big. But I suppose that's proportionate to the size of him. So they played only five songs and girls are screaming like boy bands in yeah, later yeah. years, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, absolutely. Do you know where you were in this? Were you near the front or to the... I usually go to the left of a gig yeah, we so you can left. get to the front. Yeah, we were, we were left and I would say we were probably 10 rows from the front. So it was, uh, it was crazy, you know, and it was the full-on screaming. 
but it was pure experience and uh you know it was fantastic do you know what you two were wearing what's were you in the mod gear and uh, the we haircuts would, we would be as mod as we could possibly be yeah. um i have seen pictures of me in 1966 and my hair had not been sorted by that time <laughs> <laughs> Right, so the band is Steve Marriott, Ronnie Lane, Ian McGlagan, and Kenny Jones. Sadly, only Kenny Jones is still alive, and they were an amazing band, pretty underrated, aren't they, really, overall? Do Americans know the Small Faces, really, for example? Yeah, I think so. And not as much as The Who. Not as much as The Who. No. Uh, the Faces, like when Rod Stewart joined them, I think they were still known as The Small Faces mm. for a little while, and then they became... Rod Stewart and the Faces in America, which really pissed off the uh, the Faces because they they didn't ever feel that uh, they should have had a front man because mm. they were a bit miffed that uh, Stevie Marriott did the off. But it was quite interesting, wasn't it, Steve? Because we later years we went to see uh, Ian McLagan doing a. Uh, it was a book launch, I think. Book it was his launch book. or a book reading yeah. of All the Rage. Was it? Was it called yeah, All yeah. the Rage? I had read it like a couple of years before, so I wasn't actually buying a copy of it, but I wanted to go along because he'd always been a bit of a hero of mine in the faces, etc. Yeah. And if you remember, we had a little bit of a chat with Ian McLaggen, and I told him about the gig. Yeah. I said that I saw you in the um, at the Ipswich Goldman, and he said, "Blown me, you, you know, there wouldn't be anybody else in this room would have been at any of my gigs because it was quite a young, young crowd." And then we met him. In 2014, about yes. three months before he died. About at the three months moon. before we d- he died. And it, what a lovely fellow he was. Mm. And then, you know, as you know, I've been doing this family ancestry. This thing. is the bombshell of all of this. This is where we're going with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I discovered that he's my cousin. Yeah. And, and your cousin as well. Yeah. Um, so Irish and Scottish descent. Yeah. I mean, his book primarily is all about him being descended on his mother's side from Ireland and some fantastic stories about his trips to Ireland. Um, but I was always aware that there was a Scottish side as well, which he didn't appear to know anything about. And it's such a shame that, you know, like we met him a couple of times, uh, but it would have been so nice for him to talk through with him about the Scottish side because the Scottish side was so fascinating and what a lovely fellow he was. All right, so that's McLagan. Steve Marriott as well went on to do Humble Pie and he was great. Probably the best white soul singer ever. <laughs> From UK anyway. So I've got some facts about 1966 this week for you. See if you remember it. Roman Abramovich was born on this day. Does that mean anything? Well, <laughs> not, not really. I know he's like uh, the saviour of Chelsea and all of that. But uh, <laughs> So he was born on that day, 1966. October 24th. Um, oh, Amongst a lot of oil or something in Russia. October 10th, Good Vibrations by the Beach Boys is released. And I've been watching Mad Men recently. And, you know, that's playing and they're doing an acid trip and all that. So this really is this time here. Yeah, yeah. Were you reading the newspapers or what's the kind of feeling about... Was it an exciting time or was it just in recollection, it seems? Because I've got all these things here, just that week of things that happened. In the 90s. We just won the World Cup, England as well. 
in July. This is October 1966. Yeah, it did really appear that there was a hell of a lot going on. And, you know, I mean, there have been so many programmes about it. Uh, You know, the world was black and white and it became colour and all that. Mm. I mean, I I wouldn't necessarily subscribe to all, all of that. But, of course, it did coincide with the time that I was coming of age. So it was almost all the stars aligning at the same time. It was um, mm. it was a really, really good time. And, of course, it did give me these the opportunity to see all of these great bands. Now, obviously, we're just selecting one or two. Um, but yeah, What's I, some others that we're not going to cover that are notable? Well, you know, we're here in Harrow right now, and you would have the Railway Hotel, and they would have... Fleetwood Mac, Chicken Shack, The Who, and Jimmy James and the Vagabonds. It was on the circuit, Harrow. This is it. Or Acton, or any of these places. No, what I'm saying is everywhere was on the circuit. Mm. It was the bands that were on the circuit. They would get in their transit or Bedford vans, and they would go up the M1, which was the only motorway at that time, but they would also go on these A roads into places like Norfolk, etc. And they would just work the circuit. So it wasn't uh, so much that you would buy tickets to go and see a band somewhere. You would actually go to the venue. And it would be happening anyway. And you would just go and see whoever came along. And you couldn't see live music on the touch of a button or anything like that then, could you? No, no. If you want to see live music, you had to go out and get it. Mm. Um, and the best way to fully experience it was to just see whatever came along. So... It, it gave you sort of quite a wide taste because, excuse the pun, I said taste, you know, like the, there was Rory Gallagher's band called Taste. They were one of the greatest live bands. Um, Free were just starting up. You know, I'm talking about the end of the 60s here. Mm. But every week you would see a really terrific band. Um, and, and some of them are, were just good live. They weren't necessarily legends in the, you know, with legendary albums. Or were they just good live, like Chicken Shack and all that sort of thing? And half of these bands, they're not. They went on to other stuff, didn't they? Yeah, I, I know. Like if you look in the, these like rock family trees, etc., you would see some of the people that would come out of these smaller bands. You know, mm. like um, Chicken Shack. A lot of people wouldn't have heard of. It was band run by a, a guy called Stan Webb but he had a keyboard singer very good singer and her name was Christine Perfect mm. later to be Christine McVie and she was in the second coming of Fleetwood Mac I can still remember in a very small club in Norwich called The Gala her singing I'd rather go blind I'm thinking wow that's sensational <laughs> Something told me it was over When I saw you and her talking So, you know, that's what happened anyway, is I would go to two main clubs in Norwich at the time and... um, I would let the music come to me. Mm. Right, so the next night after this gig, October 25th, a Tuesday, Jimi Hendrix Experience played their first UK gig at the Scotch of St. James. Wow. So I, I've been to Scotch of St. James, but obviously never seen Jimi Hendrix because he died 12 years before I was born. But Yeah, Jimi Hendrix. I, I saw, again, I saw Jimi Hendrix in a very small club 
called the Orford Cellar in Norwich. And it was absolutely rammed in there. Um, and again, I must have been, if I was 15, I'd be surprised, 15 or 16 years old. And he, he was absolutely sensational. And again, you just turned up, were you knowing Jimmy Hendrix? There was a queue to get in. <laughs> that, that's all I can remember. It wasn't pre-bought tickets or anything like that. You just queued up on the night and um, I think it costs about the equivalent of 10p to get in. Um, I've heard since that I think he got paid something like £38. It would probably be the equivalent of 300 quid now, I would say. Mm. So he was just knocking about then, but he really made it here, didn't he? In that month, pretty much. Yeah, I think what it was is Chaz Chandler, who used to be in The Animals, Yeah, he went on to um, manage Jimi Hendrix. And then later on, he went on to manage Slade as well. We put The Animals on the other night, the LP you've got. It was bloody good. Yeah. You could dance to it and all that. They were bloody good. And they were 16 as well, weren't they? They were young. I think I saw a thing once with Bruce Springsteen. I don't know if he was inducting them into the Hall of Fame or something like that. Yeah. But he was talking about We've Got to Get Out of This Place, the song by the animals. Big song, yeah. And he said, that song is every song I've ever written. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, he was a big, big and fan. And it's Badlands, isn't it? Dun, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, exactly. That yeah. is the same riff. Yeah. <laughs> It's um, it's it's funny. Um, you saw them as well. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, when I went on holiday to, uh, it sounds like a funny place to go on holiday to, but I had relatives that used to live in um, in Newcastle, and my cousin Lynn, she, uh, you know, she's an older cousin, two or three years older than me. She took us to the Newcastle City Hall to see the animals, and that was fantastic. It was the equivalent of watching. Van Morrison in, you know, like when he was in them, seeing them in Belfast or something. So Oh, their hometown, right. Hometown, yeah. yeah. We gotta get out of this place If it's the last thing we ever do We gotta get out of this place Girl, there's a better life for me and you And they do seem to enjoy gigs more up north, I've found. All right, so that's the small faces at the Ipswich Gaumont Theatre. I think the venue is still there. Uh, it's, it's the venue Go- is still there. It's, it's Gaumont, by the way. You're putting, All right. you're, you're putting the emphasis in the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, the next gig we have, this is just chronological, by the way. This okay. isn't a top three. So we've got The Who, live at Royal Lynx Pavilion. So where's that and what's going on with this gig? Yeah, I mean, I probably chose that one because it was so completely nuts. Cromer is the doziest place on the planet. It's on the North Norfolk coast. So Alan Partridge land. 
Well, it's it's even it, it isn't as sort of like hip as <laughs> as wherever as as Norwich, you know. Almost like a small theatre with a couple of balconies. This is a hotel ballroom, isn't it? It was like a hotel ballroom, yeah. yeah. And this is Saturday, February eleventh, nineteen sixty-seven. So yeah. now you're fifteen. I'm fifteen, yeah, and I'm a big Who fan. Right. So this I'm... isn't the first time you saw them. I had seen them previously, but I'd seen them at the Britannia Pier in Great Yarmouth. Mm. You know, in the summer, people used to do gigs a lot on the coast. And I mean, God, uh, looking back on that one on the pier, talk about fire risk and health and safety. Can you imagine, like, Brighton Pier, the Who actually doing a gig at the end of the pier? Yeah, and um, just the crowd being there the on crowd. the water. <laughs> yeah, and everybody can smoke and drink and yeah. do, do what the hell they like, yeah. Um, but that Who one, I don't think it was particularly great because they just rattled through about five songs and, and that was it. Not too brilliant. But the one at Chroma was absolutely fantastic. They were. It was at the time they were at the peak of their powers and I was properly into their albums. So they just done a quick one, I think. Their latest album was a quick one. So this gig, just to re-emphasize, is in... February, a Saturday night, 1967. The Who, supported by the Money Spiders. Remember anything about them? I don't remember the Money Spiders, but I do remember Alex Wilson's sect because right. um, they were like a local Norfolk band and they had a drummer who was a bit of a sort of like a Keith Moon-style drummer, funnily enough. But a quick one is still, I believe, my favourite Who album, funnily enough. Even, you know, Who's Next and Quadrophenia and Tommy and all that kind of stuff. I used to play the living daylights out of it. I could probably reel off the whole set list of um, A Quick One just like that. And well, they have the song A Quick One While He's Away, which they did at the Rock and Roll Circus, which completely smashed everyone off the stage didn't they yeah the so Stone Singer. They, they didn't want to release it i think because they've been completely upstaged and they but, didn't for 30 years yeah <laughs> yeah yeah her man's been gone for nigh on a year he was due home yesterday but he ain't here her man's been gone for nigh on a year he was due home yesterday but he ain't here but that night it was absolutely fantastic the, you know it, the paint was coming off the wall and that was a proper one where they smashed their gear up and mm. flares going off the speakers etc and that was seriously loud. And who were you at this one with? Uh, I think I went with my brother and, okay. and a couple of other people. And funnily enough, the venue, when they were selling tickets, they would sell tickets in like local records shops, etc. Mm. And um, you could also pay like about another few, another 20p or something like that to get a bus from Norwich. It would pick you up at a certain point take you to the gig and take you back again which was fantastic it's like they wanted you to have fun it's kind of a different time to now because <laughs> to go to a gig now it's like going through an airport isn't it 
Oh yeah, yeah. Hyde Park and all that bollocks. It, it feels like we're at a completely different world here, where they're taking you out, encouraging you to go out. The tickets are on sale everywhere. You don't have to be a scalper to get them. Because yeah. now for gigs, if I'm going to go to a gig, even before COVID, I'd go to Cambridge or Brighton or Southampton or something, because you can't get into a gig in London now. This yeah. is like the peak of gigs, isn't it, really? So the set list closest to this date is august 20th and it's in minneapolis so it might be completely it's kind of six months later here happy jack run 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 boris the spider magic bus and summertime blues so do you remember this was that the sort of set probably not because this is summer is it um happy is- jack it would be around about the time that that song was released and um I think in the early gigs, The Who used to do an awful lot of covers. Quite often they start with Heatwave, Martha and the Vandellas song. And even in the Quick One album, mm. Heatwave was on that. Magic Bus, I think that that had just been released. I was listening to the, their My Generation album on the way over here, which was the one before the other gig you said wasn't all that. Yeah. So they've done My Generation and a quick one, yeah. They're upbeat, kind of danceable numbers, covers and stuff, and then they were getting a bit more weird here with the quick one, the song, and Boris the Spider and stuff. A bit yeah. more arty. Yeah. But you didn't mind all that? or Well, up to a point, I think... I still think that quick one was one of the best opera-type things. Yeah. I just like them straight-ahead rockers, you know, and... Um, Mm. I like them to start their set with Substitute and Kids Are All Right and... Three-minute energetic numbers rather yeah. than the indulgent stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't mind a long version of Won't Get Fooled Again because that's just, you know, yeah. it's just fantastic. <laughs> They're kind of, for me, it's Oasis in the 90s, but are they the Oasis of the 60s, really, aren't they? Because they're a bit of a lads band. Was it blokes there? Were there girls there, 67? No, not not too many girls. It was a proper blokes band, I think. Already at 67. Yeah, but um, I think I still, if I look at my definitive bands, love soul music, love soul music, but as far as like rock is concerned... I think the Who are right bang up there. You know, they're in the the Who, the Faces, the Small Faces, mm. the Stones. But I would put the Stones, although they did all these fantastic singles and all that, mm. as a live band, I would still have the Who and the Faces above them. So you saw the Stones in the 60s as well. Were you at the Hyde Park one, the Brian Jones, We yeah. Let Off Butterflies? And- yeah, I went to that with my brother, and yeah. um, it was a letdown, I've got to say. I mean, <laughs> it goes down as being a legendary gig, but the mm. sound was bad. Mm. It wasn't like nowadays where you've got like all these food concessions all over the place and toilets, etc. This was just sort of like 100,000 hippies, etc., with small speakers, and uh, no good at all. I just want to say something that was written by Shelley, and I think it goes with what happened to Brian. Peace. He is not dead. He does not sleep. He has awakened from the dreams of life. seen a stones gig that was good what's the best one i've only seen them once at wembley arena in 2002 and i was at the back and it was all right but i'm glad i've seen it but 
Yeah, I think that the uh, the best Stones style gig that I ever saw, funnily enough, was um, if you go on YouTube, there's a, a record called Mystifies Me, and it's like the it's the Barbarians, and that's um, Ronnie Wood, Keith Richards, Andy Newmark, and various other people that used to do a lot of work with the Stones. Yeah, that's and a great song, isn't it? Mystifies, Mystifies Me. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. on Ronnie Woods. So in the yeah. a bit of that. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose if we um, if we were to talk about favourite gigs of the seventies, that would probably be one of my favourites. That that was at the uh, what was it? Kilburn the, was it? Kilburn States. Yeah. yeah, the Kilburn State. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah. All right. So around this time, the Who, February nineteen sixty seven, Vietnam War is raging. I think I got this from a fairly US centric site. Yeah. Was that covered around here? Was anybody talking about Vietnam while it was going on here? Maybe not 14-year-olds. Yeah, well, of course, a lot of the music around that time was very Vietnam-centric. It was all about stopping the war. And there was that Ohio one, was that released? That was like a Vietnam protest song, wasn't it? that was 70, maybe? Yeah. 1967-68, one was the summer of love, and the one was the summer where it was all kicking off. I think it 1968 was when it was all kicking off everywhere. Mm. And there was a real whiff of revolution in the air. And there were so many songs all about revolution, including Revolution by the Beatles, of course. Mm. And then February 14th, Respect is recorded by Aretha Franklin. That's an amazing song. Fantastic. Yeah. February 12th, Keith Richards, Mick Jagger and Marion Faith were arrested for drugs. I don't know where. So it's a bit of a partying time. Muhammad Ali beats Ernie Terrell in 15 rounds on February 6th. February 3rd, the last person ever to be executed in Australia named Ronald Ryan is hanged. Um, <laughs> so that's what was going on. Sorry, Ron. <laughs> yeah, that was that for him. What's the best Who gig you saw? Was this it? Because you saw them after Keith Moon died as well. And Yeah, it's a funny thing. I have read all of these books about the Who, etc. And the, there are people that have said that um, Kenny Jones wasn't a very good drummer and all mm. that. I don't know if it was just everything coming together, but I thought it was a fantastic gig. The first show at the Rainbow after Keith Moon died. And, of course, Keith Moon was the greatest drummer of all time, probably. And when I saw him in Chroma, he was just like something off a different planet. But I already think that just before his, he died, he wasn't as good as he had been previously. He was getting a bit slower when he? he was getting, getting a bit, bit heavier. Slower, yeah, the, the, the drink and drugs had taken its toll. At about 31. <laughs> but the, um, this particular gig, I had a very good, well, I say seats, everybody was standing, of course. And I went with a pal of mine, and Pete Townsend that night was like a maniac. For the whole length of the gig, he was... You know, he was windmilling, he was running on the spot, he was flying through the air and landing on his knees, etc. It was almost like he was at a point to prove, and all the others as well. And I, it was yeah. a fantastic gig. I think maybe he was having a bit of grief, yeah. and then also 
the punk stuff was happening, which was all fashionable, wasn't it? I was listening to something earlier about Britpop and how things come and go and suddenly Radiohead are massive, you know, and you're out of fashion, you're old, you're 35 and all that. And I think there was there a bit of that maybe yeah. at that time for The Who. Yeah. It was 78, was it, or 77? About that, yeah. So um, the Sex Pistols and the Clash are the flavour of the month and maybe he might have been a bit pissed off with that. Or maybe yeah. he was just pissed. <laughs> no, actually, that's probably a very good point because... As I recall, um, when we were, you know, like waiting to go in, mm-hmm. um, and th- this is a gig, funnily enough, you said earlier about gigs sometimes were spontaneously done. Mm. This is a gig that was announced on the evening standard. I believe it was the day of the show. Yeah. There was a couple of rumours going around that there was a show going on, but there was just this announcement. In a Who fan sense then, how was that communicated? Because now it'd be online, wouldn't it? Yeah, no internet. No. So it just word of mouth, etc. There was myself and my pal, Johnny Atkins. We went down there, mm. got in, full of jam fans. Right. Loaded jam fans, Parkers, mm. um, Target logos and all that sort of thing. So a bit of uh, supermarket mod stuff, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. And logos. already, even 1977, when I was uh, 25 years old, I already felt like a bit of an elder statesman. Mm. Um, and well, the film had just come out as well, Quadrophenia, hadn't it? Yeah, which yeah. was a pretty good film. Yeah, maybe Townsend and the others, they were proving themselves to that new, younger crowd. Mm. Just as a funny thing, you know, like through life, you have things that you never forget. I remember driving home afterwards. <laughs> After know. six pints, <laughs> maybe, I allegedly. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> Different I, days. I, yeah, I mean, I was working there. He driving, lived in Kilburn. Driving a transit van, I believe, at the time. Yeah. And I still remember driving across the Westway on yeah. my way home. I turned the radio on and I could hear the start of um, Pretty Vacant by the Sex Pistols. Yeah. And my ears were still ringing from the Who gig, and I'm listening to Pretty Vacant. It just seemed to be like one of those moments that you can't forget. I just thought it was significant yeah. that I was listening to the Sex Pistols on the way back from the um, from the other gig. Funny story as well, the Chroma gig. Apparently the people that did the last ever show there was the Sex Pistols. Right, in 70-odd, 78 Whenever sort of time. Yeah. All right, so that's The Who. So now we're going to skip forward to 1968. Friday, January 5th, 1968, Cream at the Melody Rooms in Norwich. So we're in January here. It's the first Friday of the year of 1968. What's going on with you in 1968? So you're about 16 now. It was the Melody Rooms, mm. but prior to that, it was known as the Industrial Club, mm. and prior to that, it was known as the Federation. And all of your thousands of listeners <laughs> in Norwich will be familiar with this, no doubt. It was a, it was an old, like working man's club, mm. at the back streets of Norwich in an industrial area. Okay, so and this is a bit of a secret gig because Cream were huge. Well, it literally was. I sort of alluded to it earlier when I said said about the um, Jethro Tull and I got in to see them for nothing. Mm. You know, paid one and six or something to see Jethro Tull, who I didn't know who they were, but they were pretty good, but not my cup of tea. Mm. But I went to see this mystery band. The word got out on the same day 
that it, it was cream. Yeah. And the place was absolutely packed. But when I say packed, we are still talking about a dance hall. It's like a Royal British Legion type thing. Yeah, it was. One of the reasons it goes down as one of my most favourite ever gigs is that the spot I got, you know, I got there nice and early and I got uh, on a sort of like a stairway. It wasn't like now where they say no standing on the stairway, you know, like... No stairway. Denied. So I got a spot on the stairway and saw Cream... You know, I didn't like all of their stuff. I thought, you know, they were a little bit self-indulgent at times. But I still remember the song that they opened up with, which was Tales of Brave Ulysses, Mm. which I still haven't got a clue what it's all about, but it's uh, such a... It was so loud and powerful. And, of course, you are looking at three of the, um, the greatest musicians ever. Ginger Baker, who used to live around here. Did he live in this house, Ginger Baker? That's the that rumour. That is amazing. You know, I still don't know. Um, so Edna next door said, 20 years ago, was it? Was when I was making a racket with guitars or something. She said, that's OK. There used to be a bloke here some years ago. He used to play drums. Big, tall, skinny bloke with red hair and mad eyes. And mm. I'm thinking... Really? Not many of them, yeah. Not many of them. And the funny thing is, his daughter, Ginger Baker's daughter, has written a couple of books mm. all about the years that they spent living in Harrow. Mm. So it's very possible that he could have been here at some point. They certainly lived um, in Sudbury Court Drive. I mean, He's a nutcase, really, isn't he? <laughs> if you've seen the documentary where he smashes the documentary maker in the first scene. Yeah, I know. He was a comp- not the full tin of biscuits at all. Mm. But this is such a prime area for drummers because yeah. uh, there was Keith Moon four miles from here in Wembley. Yeah. There was Ginger Baker, allegedly, in, the, in this house, but certainly Sudbury Court Drive. Mm. And then a, a mile or two up the road is Charlie Watts. Yeah, I wonder why that is. Don't know. It's amazing. I wanted to play drums at first as well, but I'm left-footed and right-handed, so I never got the right kit set up. <laughs> so I didn't do it. But I've got good rhythm. It's a fun instrument, isn't it? Yeah. I'll just set the scene a bit for this gig then. So we're, wh- why do you think they did this gig on a January... Were they promoting something? So Disraeli Gears was still their latest album? So they hadn't announced they were quitting or anything. Were you funny, a fan? Because... Um... When I was clearing out the garage the other day, I yeah. gave you my copy of Disraeli Gears. Yeah. Because we were thinking about you flogging it on eBay. But, I've withdrawn it, though. But apparently it's absolutely scratched to pieces. It's scratched, yeah. I do like some of it, but I don't think it was moment-friendly. It doesn't seem like Clapton was that involved in this band. It was a very busy rhythm section. So Jack Bruce is a very busy bass player, and he? he wrote a lot of it. You know, I spoke to some musician mates about it who say that Derek and the Dominoes album is better, more their cup of tea. I'll tell you somebody else who thought it was better, and that's Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton thought that Cream was getting far too self-indulgent, etc. And you had three, you know, like super-duper musos that were almost trying to compete with each other. But it was a fantastic gig. You know, of course, they've still got this huge following now. And... um, Obviously, they they aren't going to uh, reform now because two of them are dead. But, but uh, they did reform about 10 years ago, didn't they? Or 15 years ago. Yeah, I think the tickets were going for thousands. Mm. Yeah. And we have a connection in that Uncle Paul, who you've mentioned here, I've said in a previous episode that I flooded Eric Clapton's toilet and stole one of his soaps that got broken in half somewhere. And uh, 
he actually knows Eric Clapton, does he, Paul, still? Yeah, he's his decorator, more or less. Um, so, Paul, my brother, is a tip-top, um, you know, by appointment to Her Majesty the Queen decorator and all that. And Old so, leaf, yeah. And so he's um, he's done... Any time that Eric Clapton has one of his houses needing doing up, my brother's firm does it. Yeah, but not me. <laughs> I've got a good track record. <laughs> All right, so the next day, Magical Mystery Tour goes to number one by The Beatles, stays there for eight weeks. January 1st, the new Penn Station opened in New York City. Uh, January 4th, Leo Fender sells Fender guitars for $30 million to CBS. Again, these are quite American facts. So Cream, what's interesting, that album, that vinyl, you had it then, did you? And I've got it in my my flat in Hampstead there. Yeah, I had clearly uh, bought it in advance of the gig so uh, yes I was uh, I was a bit of a fan I had fresh cream mm. and I had Disraeli gears and I didn't have the wheels of fire what happened with this gig then who are you with and what do you remember about this so you've obviously think, said it was just me and my brother right yeah I mean it was quite handy having an older brother because he Obviously, he's older than me, and if ever there was issues about getting in... Yeah, did you have to be 18 to get the drinks and all that, or what was happening here? I don't think anybody was bothered. Mm. Do you know that the only time I ever got challenged about my age in a pub was in some... Last little, week. <laughs> some little pub in Hounslow when I was about 21. Yeah. <laughs> and um, other than that, no, I was drinking in pubs from the age of 14. So, yeah, there was never an issue. People just didn't care. Mm. Right, so now we're coming to the final segment, which is fairly unscripted. This is a first, this episode. We haven't done anything like this before. Obviously, my dad is a huge fan of knowledge my whole life for everything. (laughs) So (laughs) this is just about music and gigs. Some notable things from the 60s that I have from you is that you were around when the rooftop gig happened by the Beatles in Regent Street on your lunch break, weren't you? From That was 1969. Was it? Yeah, so that was that was January 69. So we're still in the 60s. We're trying to stick to the 60s this episode. We'll do okay. the 70s next and maybe 80s. Yeah, was that 69? So you'd moved to London. When did you move to London and what? how did that change your gig-going life? Okay, as I said earlier, I, was, I went to a boarding school. It doesn't mean I was posh. It's just that, unfortunately, your grandfather, my dad, he's in the RAF and he died in a mid-air collision, you know, when I was just a little kid. I was only about two. And um, it was the RAF who funded me through this uh, boarding school. Bloody, I didn't even know that myself. Yeah, well... <laughs> the funding bit. Yeah. Right, um, that's how it works, yeah. So what actually happened was, after being banged up in a boarding school for about five years, you go start raving bonkers, you know, like you are ready to... You know, it's probably one of the reasons I was going out to so many gigs, etc., it's good to have done it, though, while you're young, isn't it? Yeah. Know. 1969 was a funny year, actually. A lot of the optimism, etc., was already starting to change a little bit. And uh, 1969, there was a lot of skinheads and it was starting to get a bit violent, etc. It's so weird because it's such a short space of time. Yeah, yeah. But it, it was almost like it was... A lot of that was all coming to an end. So what actually happened was I decided, yeah, it's time to leave home. I applied for a job in some shop called Fortnum & Mason's in Piccadilly, which I had no idea what it was. It could have been a corner shop for all I knew. Mm. Turned up, 
and it was like walking into Aladdin's cave. It was fantastic. To my surprise, I got the job, which meant me wearing striped trousers and a tailcoat, etc., which is a long preamble into the gig. A mate of mine came and said, the Beatles are playing a gig on the roof of the um, the Apple building. And this is while it just started happening, because I think it just happened, didn't it? It was a spontaneous thing. It was yeah. no sort of preamble to it, whatever. The funny thing is, I had just come back from lunch, and um, I thought, so this, you know, you know, that's what's happening. I'm going to just slide off and hope I don't get missed. Mm. Um, so myself and my mate, we went over to uh, Savile Row, and sure enough, you could hear the music on the way over because it's only about 300 yards away from Piccadilly to Savile Row. Mm. Um, you couldn't see anything. We tried to make our way upstairs, uh, tried to blag our way in. I said I was Fortin and Masons and I was... Uh, here. Oh, you're the caterer. <laughs> I was here to take the sandwich order. And, yeah, yeah. And, and a fella said, I'll wait there a minute. I'll go and have a look. And I thought, hello, we're in here. He went upstairs, he came down with another couple of blokes and they said, <laughs> get out of here. So right. so we just stood out in the street and we listened to it. You couldn't hear it fantastically well. It was cold, etc. But it was uh, an experience. We were there. That was January 69. And what did you actually think of the Beatles? At the time, were you more of a sort of a mod guy than the whole... Yeah, maybe it was a bit of a, a thing that really, as far as the Beatles albums are concerned, mm. I liked all the singles. Yeah. As far as the albums are concerned, I didn't really buy them because you could always listen to them on the radio. You know, everything that they did was on the radio all the time. So. But now it's not. It's weird, that, isn't it? Yeah. It's like the Beatles are too obvious. Yeah. Why not play the Beatles or the Stones on the radio? But, you know, that's maybe me being, I don't know. There's never not going to be Coca-Cola in a garage, petrol station, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's weird that they don't play it. I mean, I love all the tracks on Revolver, White Album, Hard Day's Night. Because you like soul music and stuff as well. Were there any gigs in the 60s that were notable for that side of it, the Stax tours and stuff like that you saw? Yes, I saw that... And again, maybe I should have included that as one of my highlighted ones. It was called the Finsbury Park Astoria at that time. Yeah. So even preceding the the Rainbow, myself, my brother and a couple of other guys got in a transit van and we went down and we saw the Stax Soul Tour. So you came down to Finsbury Park from Norwich? From Norwich, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that was Otis Redding, Sam and Dave, Carla Thomas... And you drove back after to Norwich? Drove back afterwards, yeah. What was that audience like in London at that time? Fantastic. That was a real good hip thing. You, you know, like it was uh, It was almost like the Ready Steady Go crowd, you know. Again, and they were all dancing like that? Dancing in the aisles. and the, Yeah, I mean, you couldn't help but, you know, like Sam and Dave, Booker T and the MGs. Some of the most fantastic musicians ever. Yeah, high mean, energy as well. High energy. Who drove? Not me. <laughs> Not me. Because yeah. yeah. the thing is, the, the roads were really, really bad. And you, you had to feel for the musicians that used to do, you know, like going the other way up to Norwich, etc. And I do remember the MC or whatever, he'd be saying, 
I've just had a phone call from the uh, the the boys have just been held up a little bit because they had a puncture or whatever, but they're on their way. Of course, there's no mobile phone, so I don't know how they would have ever got that message through. Yeah, and uh, running on time. Yeah, I mean they're they're coming all the way from somewhere. They're probably. You, you and know. they don't know where the hell they are, these guys from, like, Georgia or whatever in America. Yeah, no... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what I said earlier about you would go to the, the venue rather necessarily than the show itself? So, you know, like, one week you'd see, like, a blues band. Next week it'd be some, like, prog rock thing that you didn't necessarily care care about. Next time yeah. it would be it made you open-minded though maybe yeah, gino washington the ram jam band or the yeah or jimmy james and the vagabonds and they were just fantastic yeah okay so we've done the 60s any other personal memories for you did were you you're a single guy at this time and stuff i suppose that's a weird thing to ask you but and uh what was your lifestyle choices <laughs> <laughs> well on the same as you was it like austin powers or something for american listeners was it really like that uh, minis everywhere and girls in mini skirts and everybody's happy or what or not yeah, um maybe but um I certainly didn't have a Mini. My brother actually drove a Hillman Imp very badly and all that, and he nearly killed a few people, including me. Yeah, I mean, I was never one for the velvet uh, Regency jackets and all that kind of thing. I was more... Flares or any of that? Is that late 60s? It was all just... No, late 60s, I think that the mod thing, you know, people were either going completely flared and platform shoes and all that malarkey, and that was never me, or... They moved more into the sort of like the suede head late sort of hard mod stage. And, um, you know, there was fantastic clothes in places like the Squire Shop in Brewer Street, etc. So um, yeah. you probably noticed that I dressed pretty much the same way since the time you were a little boy to what now. I probably went into a sort of like an Ivy League mod ethos and just stayed with it. They say style is better than fashion, isn't it? That's what I think as well, really. It's a fine line where you've got to keep your eye on it and go, is that going to work? Well, <laughs> Sometimes yeah. I've been a bit experimental myself just so I look different in photos, but I kind of always know what are the kind of garish moves that are not really going to age well. Yeah, I mean, you, you see like the wedding photos of me and mum, you know, I've got a relatively sort of conservative sort of suit on, but... I've got some pals that were married about the same time and they you wouldn't really want to see their wedding photos, you know, the clothes that they were wearing, you know. Yeah. They say fashion's so vulgar it has to change every three months, so you've got to yeah. be careful. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so thanks to my dad. How can people follow you on Twitter and uh, retweet this and uh, if they're interested in your daily activities? Well, I do have a small following on Twitter. I can't even remember what my Twitter handle or whatever you call it. I think it's it is, Derek 485. H Derek 485, maybe, yeah. And so we're going to come back and do the 70s mm-hmm. um, and then the 80s and maybe 90s because you were at Nebworth with me. And I think we went to see MC Hammer in 91. <laughs> that was a good show. Yeah, yeah. I'll be happy to talk you ne- about you that. You never know, see? Yeah, Nebworth was good as well. Yeah. Okay, great. See you in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> See you, Steve. See ya. Yeah, get back. You've been out too long, Loretta. You've been playing on the roots again. And that's no good. Because you know your mommy doesn't like that. But she gets angry.
Thanks, Mo. I'd like to say thank you on behalf of the group and ourselves, and I hope we pass the audition. <laughs>